0: Some and Blessings of Sigmar, George here as you can probably tell from the music and the title this is not going to be a regular episode, instead I'll be offering a brief but hopefully detailed recap of the first part of our Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4th Edition playthrough of The Enemy Within as we leave Enemy in Shadows and move on to Death on the Reich. Both were written by Graham Davis and others who as ever will be credited in the description. We began our journey on a rainy Yardrung day as four bedraggled travellers trudged down the Middenheim Road towards Altdorf. First among them was Callum's character Ebenezer Gut, a petty swindler raised on the mean streets of Altdorf and returning there to pay a debt to his crime boss. Secondly was Cess's character, Seraphina Esmeralda Honeycakes, a young halfling who had learnt herbalism from her uncle Theophilus, who had studied apothecary at the University of Middenheim and was heading to Altdorf to collect a guild license. Thirdly, Steve's character, Norgalvar a dwarf, a carpenter by trade, disowned by his family for falling in with a crew of river pirates and on his way to Altdorf in search of opportunity. And last among their number, Tish's character, Stur Simpflehofer, a young leech-gatherer who had been plying their trade on the River Reich living with the extended family of aunts, uncles and cousins who had raised them, and now on the way to Altdorf, looking for their own work, for as the proverb goes, the streets of Altdorf are paved with gold. Vaguely recognising each other through the sheeting rain, the four decided to travel together for mutual protection, and convened at the coaching inn at the sign of the coach and horses. There they made the acquaintance of Bretonian gambler Philippe Descartes, minor noble Isolde von Strudeldorf and her retinue, a bookish young man named Ernst, who seemed disinclined towards conversation, and a pair of alcoholic coachmen named Gunnar and Holtz. After losing several card games to Philippe, they turned in and the following day, having got passage with Gunnar and Holtz, and along with the rest of this band, they continued along the route. Around midday, they came across a grisly sight, an overturned coach, its occupants slaughtered. The worst of it was the mutant that was eating a human hand. There were a band of other mutants which the party quickly killed, or drove off. As they cleared the road, they came across an individual who looked almost exactly identical to Ebenezer. This man was carrying an affidavit of his identity as Kester Librum, as well as a letter purporting to be from a Bergenhafen law firm, informing the said Herr Librum that if he was to head to their office, he would become the beneficiary of a noble estate and a sizeable inheritance. Not one to let such an opportunity go to waste, Ebenezer quickly decided to impersonate Herr Lieber. After avoiding trouble with a passing road warden patrol, they continued along their way to the next coaching inn, the Seven Spokes. After Philippe was accused of cheating in a card game, he fired off a pistol and a brawl ensued. During the confusion, he escaped out of a window and disappeared. The rest of the night passed uneventfully, as did the following day, as the party finally approached the jewel of the Empire, Altdorf. Those who hadn't been there before were stunned by the scale and the constant change in the place. Norgol and Ebenezer observed two men standing at the opposite side of the Koenigsplatz or King's Square, making strange hand gestures towards Ebenezer and only stopping to run across the square to where a short, stocky man was waiting, although he eluded any attempts to follow him. A fanfare of trumpets erupted as the Emperor himself, Karl Franz I, rode with the Imperial Guard across the Koenigplatz. Ebenezer was tracked down by his crime boss, and after being menaced by an insane street soldier, Fat Gunther, and the boss's ogre bodyguard, Doug Bog, was forced to hand over what little money and valuables he possessed. Serafina, meanwhile, made her way to the guild of apothecaries, herbalists, barbers, barber-surgeons and physicians, where she received her license and was made aware of the guild's strictures. The party met Shter's uncle, Josef, a bargeman and wine merchant, who took them to a nearby tavern, the boatman, to outline a job. He was taking a cargo of wine to the Schaffenfest, a three-day sheep and livestock market and accompanying festival in the nearby town of Bergenhafen. The terms were good, and as the party had no reason to stay in Altdorf, and some of them had business in Bergenhafen, agreed to travel with Josef. A brawl was provoked by a pair of slumming nobles and a local gangster. The party managed to defuse the brawl by taking out the gangster and avoiding any fights with the nobles and accompanied Yosef back to his barge. On the way there, they noticed that they were being tailed by two men. As they looked back, they saw the pair cut down by crossbow bolts, although neither had anything to identify them. The following day, word passed to Yosef that one of the nobles from the night before had been murdered in an even rougher tavern than the one they had been at the night before. At first light, they set sail for Bergenhafen, a trip that would take four days, and see them arriving in Bergenhafen on Mittafull, the spring equinox. Yosef's barge, the beer belly, turned into the Weisbrook Canal and made good speed, although it did block the passage for most other barges along the way. On the first night, they stopped at Weisbrook. Ebenezer, the entire time laboring under the impression that he was being followed, had his suspicions confirmed when he recognized the short stocky man from Altdorf standing in the doorway of the Black Gold of Weisbrook Inn. The party made numerous inquiries, but were unable to ascertain the man's name, or where he was staying. Patrons of the various inns in town seemed to have been paid to misdirect the party. Eventually, they gave up and returned to the beer belly. As night began to fall, the cabin filled with smoke. Opening a window for air, Ebenezer was greeted by a pot of burning oil, thrown by a thug. Out of the window, he noticed the man, winding a crossbow. As Norgol attempted to escape through the cabin hatch, he was shot in the arm. Ebenezer took up a crossbow that he'd looted from one of the mutants and made his own shot, killing the man with a single bolt. Several other thugs bearing buckets of burning oil fled. Searching the man's body, they discovered that his name was Adolphus Kuftzos. They found a letter on him, signed QF, and indicating that Castelliberan would be travelling along the Middenheim Road at roughly the same time as the party were. The letter also strongly intimated, that Castellibron was a member of a secret society and that his rank within that society was Magister Impedimenti or Master of Trappings. Along with the letter was an identity sketch which strongly resembled Ebenezer. This latter was keen to get away as quickly as possible but Josef refused to move until the following morning. The three other days of travel to Bergenhafen were without incident although Serafina took the time to teach Ebenezer some level of functional literacy. The Burgenhafen Schaffenfest was almost as impressive in its way as Altdorf was. Tents of every imaginable type were here, stalls selling everything, every type of entertainer, but the party were not interested in this. After receiving payment from Josef from their work, they immediately repaired to an inn the crossed pikes so that they could take a bath they bought new clothes bought new weapons and proceeded to pawnbrokers to sell off the loot that they collected that they did not need repairing to the law office of Lux, Sturk and Baal established in the letter they found it manned by a clerk who took the letter and the affidavit then left the room the doors and shutters were slammed and a voice rang out, calling that Castelubrun was under arrest. Immediately after this, there was a scream and a sickening noise. Nobody found out what happened as they broke down the back door and escaped into the Schaffenfest. In need of diversion, they competed in some fair games, with Norgol beating wrestling champion Crusher Braugen in a three-minute bout. During the match, Crusher appeared to injure his ankle and went to a beer tent with Norgol to commiserate. Ebenezer, now posing as a minor noble, Ebenezer Liebrung made the acquaintance of Georg von Osbrum, a minor noble and vassal of House Middenheim, who invited Ebenezer to his box to watch the joust the following day. Ebenezer learned some interesting gossip about the town's power players, including the interesting fact that the most powerful man in the town, Johannes Toygen, only came out at night. Serafina made a contact, Elvira Kleinestun, a herbalist who lives in Weisbrock, through which the party had previously passed. Kleiniston invited Serafina to visit her at her house to take up some more serious pharmaceutical studies. In the beer tent it transpired that Crusher had feigned the injury to his ankle so that he could speak to a barmaid at that beer tent. However he could not pluck up the courage to do so. After some coaching from the group he made a move and the barmaid agreed to see him the following day. In thanks Crusher offered to throw a fight. The prize would be four gold crowns. Ebenezer and Nongol came across a drunken dwarf sitting in the stocks outside the festival court. Nongol finally convinced the court that the dwarf had served his sentence and he was duly freed. The dwarf, whose name was Gotri, proceeded to fawn over Nongol in a most embarrassing manner, made more so by the fact that he was foul-smelling and flea-ridden. Norgle took him back to the inn for a bath. Serafina and Shtur saw a three-legged goblin escape from a traveling freak show that was at the fest. They ignored it and the goblin was caught by the crowd and returned to its cage for the show later on. They discussed a plot to rig the joust that would be occurring at the fest. Ebenezer observed an elf being beaten by several locals. Although he didn't step in, he did escort the Elf to the Hospice of Shelia. When the Elf regained consciousness, he introduced himself as Rolana Laffarel, master of the hunt for Graf Boris Todbringer of Middenheim. Nongel met back up with Stur and Serafina, with Gotry in tow. Gotry was still extremely drunk and began causing a scene at the livestock market, which almost resulted in the party's arrest by a watchman. Back at the inn, The landlord Franz Baumann informed Ebenezer of what had been going on at the fest. He seemed to have found out about it almost immediately after it happened. Ebenezer was asked to deal with the situation as Franz was not happy having conspicuous individuals hanging around his inn. A discussion took place as to what to do with him. Eventually, it was decided that as he had said that he had been an engineer at one point, that they would take him to Uncle Josef for possible work on his barge. They took him for the beer that he had been begging Nongol for, and Serafina laced his with schlafkraut. Shortly after, he fell into a deep sleep. They took him to the barge, and eventually convinced Josef to take charge of him. As they returned to town, discussing what to do next, The three-legged goblin was noticed to have escaped again. The party saw the goblin escape into a sewer grate. Dr Malthusius, the owner of the freak show, detained the party as witnesses, and after the festival court judge, Magistrate Richter arrived, offered five crowns for the safe return of the goblin, while Richter offered a further five for removing it from the town's sewers, lured by the prospect of such riches. The party descended into the sewers in pursuit of the goblin. Between various other unpleasant encounters, they came across a door in the side of the sewer which led to a basement in which their landlord, Franz, was holding court with several of his cronies. The party were briefly kidnapped and threatened not to reveal the location of the door. The party agreed. Frightened and annoyed but unhurt, they continued their hunt for the goblin they came across yet another door in the side of the sewer this one with a goblin footprint in greenish black blood on it they peered through the grate on the door and saw what appeared to be some sort of temple as they opened the door they came across a three socketed pelvis undoubtedly the goblins a demon manifested in a copper ring that had been set on the floor the demon made no offensive moves but demanded the party leave which they were happy to do. As they fled through the sewers, Ebenezer became concerned that they would receive the blame for the summoning of the demon, and as the party argued, they were attacked by a giant amoeba. They made short work of the amoeba, but it only served to inflame tensions. Nongol returned to the door and discovered that the demon had vanished. As they progressed through the sewers, they came across the corpse of Gotri floating in the sewage. Gotri's heart had been removed. The party escaped the sewers, but not before Seraphina was attacked by a colony of bats. They washed up in the river. Nongol and Stur confronted Yosef about what had happened to Gotri while Ebenezer and Serafina returned to the inn. Josef had thrown Gotri off his barge for attempting to drink his stock of wine had last seen him falling asleep in a warehouse doorway. Sturr and Norgal went to the warehouse and found nothing of interest. The watchman had seen Gotrie as he entered for his shift, but had paid him no mind as it was common to see beggars sleeping there. There was a brief scuffle as Sturr and Norgal demanded more information but ultimately, they left empty-handed. At the inn, Ebenezer briefed Serafina on the news that he'd heard. Serafina put two and two together, remembering the corpse without a heart and the bats, and became convinced that Johannes Toygen, the man running the town behind the scenes, was secretly a vampire. During the night, Normgill's stomach began to disagree with a pie that he'd eaten earlier. The following morning, The party split up, Ebenezer and Serafina went to collect the money from Judge Richter while Norgel and Sturr went to compete in the rigged wrestling match against Crusher. Richter politely told Ebenezer and Serafina that he could not pay them as it was his understanding the goblin had been crushed by some crates in a warehouse on the other side of town. After Sturr had won the four crowns the party reconvened, Ebenezer and Sturr argued about the distribution of money and the party were caught by Dr Malthusius. He bore no grudge against them, believing the Goblin to have been crushed by some crates, but Ebenezer pretended to him that it had been eaten by an amoeba. Malthusius was already confused as to why the town watch would not hand the Goblin back to him, as it could be no conceivable use to anybody else, and he had wanted it stuffed and mounted as a static display. He now believed that the amoeba had eaten the body, and this was the reason why. He decided to undertake his own investigation. Ebenezer returned to the Joust to insinuate himself with von Ostbrunn, while Stur and Serafina joined up to commence preparations for their horse-doping plot. Nongel went off in search of solid food to settle his stomach, and came across Crusher's employer, Marcus. Marcus was in a furious rage and said that he could not carry on the business with Crusher, if Crusher was going to throw fights. He told Norgol that Crusher could keep the business for himself as far as he was concerned. Stur and Serafina infiltrated the Once Upon a Time tent, posing as Ostlers. Serafina dosed a horse chosen at random with a powerful sleeping draught, enough to make it dopey, but not enough to put it to sleep. She then proceeded to the commoner's box at the Joust to take bets. Norgol met her there, and this pair and Ebenezer watched in amazement as Stur trotted out on the horse that Serafina had just dosed. In the meantime, Stur had been pulled aside for having the same height and build as a knight who was supposed to be jousting that day, but had never jousted before and was too scared to do so. Stur had been promised money to stand in for this knight. Predictably, Stir did abysmally in the joust and was eliminated after only a single lance. Stir was injured, but Serafina made plenty of money from the gambling racket. Chatting with von Ostbrunn in his box, Ebenezer found out more about the power players in town, including Friedrich Magirius, an up and coming merchant who was the merchant's guild master of the town and was almost in a position to depose one of the four main merchant families of the town. Meanwhile, Ebenezer saw yet another person making strange hand gestures at him from the commoner's box. The joust was cut short when Jürgen von Ostbrunn, a cousin of Georg, fell off his horse and died. During the recess, Nongol, and Serafina repaired to a beer tent where they met Josef. Josef had been at the fest to buy some tax-free livestock one of the fair's main attractions. He told Norgall that he'd asked around as he felt guilty about what happened to Gotri and had discovered that he was last seen going into town with a young man with dark hair wearing a white tunic with a red cross or rose on the front. As they shared a few drinks with Yosef, Ebenezer was outside attempting to corner the man who had been making gestures towards him. He had no success in this, but Norgal spotted Ebenezer and invited him into the beer tent. As they discussed the situation, the party realised that everyone that had been making these hand gestures at them had been wearing some article or other of purple clothing. Ebenezer outlined a plan to piggyback on Megirius' success. Joseph returned to his barge as he'd been up since midnight that day, while Ebenezer returned to the inn pending the joust being reconvened. Whilst he was there, Franz told him that he was in serious trouble because the Lowhaven halflings owned the ga- gambling racket in Bergenhafen and had already been breathing down Franz's neck for running his own interests. In their eyes Serafina rigging a joust, being as she was a tenant of Franz, was the final straw. It turned out that Doug Bog was at the half Measure, a local halfling bar and the Lowhaven halflings in the town had been using him to threaten Franz. Having befriended Ebenezer, Franz decided not to capitulate and instead ordered Ebenezer to destroy the Lowhaven halfling's business. The other three crossed town to talk to the warehouseman who had been the last person and to see Gotri alive. On the way there, they happened to glance into the Ardal Ring, where the town's best and brightest lived. They noticed the Toygen house and observed that his emblem was a red rose stylized into a cross. They attempted to communicate in hand gestures to several people they saw wearing purple within the Ardal Ring, but without success. As they approached the docks, they came across Hilma, a docker who they previously made an acquaintance with. She confirmed the story from Yosef, and also sold Serafina a large quantity of pipeweed she had smuggled in tax-free. Ebenezer arrived, believing the party to be with Yosef. He angrily explained the situation with the Lowhaven Halflings, and told everyone that they could probably expect to die if they didn't deal with the situation. The noise caused a night watchman named Anton. Supposedly the last person to see Gotri alive to come out of his warehouse. He also claimed to have killed the goblin personally using his club. But after being threatened by the party, reverted to the story that it had been crushed by crates. Realizing that he had nothing useful to say, the party left him to his own devices. Sturr and Ebenezer once again began to argue over money. In a desperate attempt to get Ebenezer to change his ways, Sturr tried to hug him. Ebenezer had a flashback to some previous trauma, drew a dagger and slashed Sturr's hand. Nongol quickly disarmed Ebenezer, while Stur ran back to Uncle Yosef's barge and jumped on. Nongol and Serafina followed Stur to the barge and continued to argue, while Ebenezer wandered off to the half-measure to scope the place out. Serafina finally decided that she'd had enough and wandered off to the fest to get away from both Ebenezer and Stur. She came across her second cousin, Esmeralda Serafina Honeycakes, who was there selling pork pies and cider, and spent the next two hours eating pork pies, drinking cider, and smoking pipeweed. Normgall finally cajoled Shterr into coming off the barge, and not knowing where either Ebenezer or Seraphina were, they wandered around until they came across Seraphina at the fest. Ebenezer came across Dr Malthusius, who advised him that he'd tried to go and see Judge Richter, but he had been sent home unwell. Normgall suffered an attack of diarrhoea and rushed to a nearby sewer grate to relieve himself. While he was there, he heard footsteps moving around below and realised that this was relatively near the temple. He returned to Stir and Serafina, but as Serafina was not in a fit state to do anything, Stir and Norgal put her to bed. Franz allowed the pair to use his sewer door, showing them a handkerchief that had been found in the temple, monogrammed FS, and telling them that something seriously untoward was going on down there. In the meantime, Ebenezer had returned to the joust. Von Ostbrunn, now in mourning for his cousin, revealed to Ebenezer that he was now believed to be a famous noble Ebenezer Liebrung in the town. In the sewer, Norgal and returned to the temple. The copper ring was missing and had apparently been sawn into pieces and removed. All that was left in the room was a cabinet and some traces of candle wax. Norgul forced open the cabinet and found eight silver candlesticks, a bloodstained silver knife and a scroll in an unusual script. They weren't able to work out where they were in the town exactly, but believed themselves to be under the Ardal Ring, and heard an obese, deep-voiced man walking around upstairs as they listened at the trapdoor. Hoping not to get in trouble, they left. They came across a patch of yellow mold in the sewer, which released spores that blinded the pair of them, and they both fell into the sewer. Meanwhile, Seraphina had woken up. Very hungover, she went to the bar for a hair of the dog and in the bar room was Philippe Descartes, the Bretonian gambler from earlier. Serafina came up with a plan whereby she would put up money for Descartes to gamble with the Low Haven halflings and run them out of business, until eventually they were so destitute that they would have to put up their bar as a stake. Descartes accepted this in return for an 80% share of the proceeds. He did not want the bar, but he would take most of the money returning only what Serafina had given him. Serafina agreed and handed over her money, and Descartes decamped for the half measure. To raise some more quick cash, Serafina did a round of the taverns in the town, selling off the tax-free pipeweed that she'd picked up. Then she returned to the bar, shortly followed by Ebenezer. Ebenezer had been planning to burn down the half-measure ever since he knew of the situation. He was not very impressed with Serafina's plan, but his demeanor rapidly changed when Philippe returned to the bar, dumping a small sack of coin onto a table and returning Serafina's money. The plan then changed. Philippe would teach Ebenezer how to cheat at dice and cards, and Ebenezer would be the one put up Franz's bar as a stake against the half measure. Seraphina retired to bed as Norgel and Stir came in. They showed her the scroll, and Seraphina could not read it. She looked at the copper shavings from the sawn-up ring and realised that they were absolutely pure and also explained the properties of the yellow mould that the pair had found in the sewers. Examining the handkerchief, they surmised that the S may stand for Steinhager. That night, Morsleib was full and seemed bigger and lower in the sky than ever. The following morning, Stur woke up early. And went for a walk around the Schaffenfest. Crusher had thrown Marcus out of his caravan, taking him completely at his word. Although Crusher was now happy, hoping to tour the Reichland with a woman he hoped to make his wife, Marcus was now homeless and had no job. Stir brokered a meeting between Crusher and Marcus at the Journey's End Tavern, then went back to Franz's inn in time for breakfast. Ebenezer and Philippe discussed the plan. Ebenezer would go in, lay, as it were, his cards on the table, saying that Franz wished to bet bar for bar. In a best three card game while Philippe kept watch from a house across the street with his pistol at the ready. When Stur entered Ebenezer immediately went after Stur about his money. The argument escalated until Stur threw the money Ebenezer was owed onto the ground. Ebenezer spat in Stur's face and went to walk out before Stur shoved Ebenezer from behind knocking him over onto a bench and cracking several of his ribs. Stir immediately regretted this as Ebenezer stormed out with Serafina in tow looking to patch up the broken ribs. These two then proceed to get into an argument, Ebenezer consumed by self-pity and Serafina finally snapping at him for his immaturity. She set the ribs making Ebenezer a little more fighting fit, though he declined any kind of pain-killing medication, wanting to keep his wits about him for the card game that was upcoming. Serafina went to the Merchants Guild to exchange the large amount of change and small coinage that she got for her tobacco for larger denominations as she was carrying around literally hundreds of coins. There she was introduced to a kindly-looking elderly man, Friedrich Magerius, the Guildmaster. Ebenezer spread rumours around the town about Casta his supposed brother, and his hunt for him, at the same time trying to pick up as much news and gossip as possible about the main families of the town. He realised that he was still being followed by strange, gesticulating men wearing purple. He came across an old acquaintance, Delbert Trurter, who tried to scam him into buying a load of stolen silver. Ebenezer tried to scam him in turn, and Delberz suggested they run a con together. Realizing that Delbers' understanding of his own con was going to make it not work out, Ebenezer simply led him along. It had not escaped Delbers' attention that Ebenezer was being followed by the purple dressed men. Ebenezer engaged Delbers' help as a lookout and possibly to try and catch hold of one of the people that was following him around. Nongol consoled her and they decided after some time to scope out the half measure. They went there for breakfast, security was lax and everyone was in a terrible mood. It very shortly transpired that without any money they were having trouble feeding Doug Bog, and the expenses were becoming unbearable. Ebenezer went to the office of Judge Richter to see what had happened to him. His housekeeper Gertie let Ebenezer in, but the magistrate was upstairs unwell and being attended to by a Dr. Heigdorn. The physician left, advising Gertie to keep Richter warm, and Ebenezer went upstairs. Richter was in a terrible state. His eyes were bright yellow and the size of eggs protruding from his face, which had turned bright red. His tongue was also swollen, sticking out of his mouth, and that had turned purple. He was delirious and could not communicate with Ebenezer. Meanwhile at the Merchant's Guild, Seraphina had got chatting to Guildmaster Megirius, who invited her. And any business associates you may have to a meeting that night at Ten Bells at his club, The Golden Trout, to discuss the possibility of setting up a guild of physicians, apothecaries, herbalists, barbers, and barber-surgeons in Bergenhafen. As he left, a letter fell out of his pocket, indicating that the inner council would attend a meeting at Johannes Toygen's house at midnight. Ebenezer and Serafina met. They discussed Megirius, and Ebenezer described Richter's complaints to Serafina, who immediately recognized the symptoms as those of purple brain fever a rare and almost invariably fatal disease back at the half measure stir and nongo had a pleasant conversation with Doug bog although he didn't have much interesting to say. Eventually, the halfling landlord threw them both out, obviously having hit the end of his tether. Ebenezer took Seraphina back to see Richter, and under her care, he already improved slightly. She gave detailed instructions to Gertie as to how to manage his condition. Stur and Norgal enlisted Crusher's help to win a tug-of-war competition. The four met once again. Stur and Norgal apparently intended to recruit Dugbog. Ebenezer was not happy with this idea. There was no time to discuss it now as it was time to go to the half measure to make the bar for bar bet. Ebenezer entered the bar with the other three on guard or lookout duty. He goaded the halflings into putting up their bar against Franz's and was offered a match against their champion, a tall handsome Bretonian named Philippe Descartes. Ebenezer eventually won the match, but when he returned to Franz's inn to give him the news, Franz was less than impressed. Philippe had already gone to France, claiming to have done the job himself and then then sold his stake. By the time Franz figured it out, Philippe was long gone and Franz was drowning his sorrows in schnapps. Ebenezer sent him to bed, intending for him to join in on the business dinner with Megirius later on that day. Norgol and Stöhr went to the meeting of Crusher and Marcus and were able to negotiate a settlement whereby Marcus would be able to take the profits that he'd made, but Crusher could keep the business. Ebenezer and Serafina prepared for the meeting, duly attired, they contacted Franz and headed over to the Golden Trout Club to meet with Megirius. They discussed trivialities, the woolen wine trades, Megirius' career, Serafina's plans to set up an apothecary's guild in the town and gossip about the other local merchants. Halfway through the dinner, Franz began to act like a maniac, bouncing his head off the wall and pretending to have been attacked. He soon went home, with Ebenezer apologising for his behaviour, saying that he had funny turns. Eventually, the conversation drifted towards magic. Megirius shut this down and refused to answer any questions about this until the end of the meal, when he explained that there was a society of merchants within the town, the Ordo Septenarius. Its members did charitable work and helped one another in business transactions. They kept their organization secret because many people within it could stand for office if they chose to and would be open to accusations of electioneering should these activities be made public. Ebenezer and Seraphina weren't satisfied with this explanation but decided to let it rest for now. As more rose, it was even bigger, even lower than the night before, and there was a vague sense that something might be visible on the face. Longwell and Sturr had their fortunes told by a fortune teller that Sturr had previously spoken to at the Schaffenfest. As they walked through the streets, a gang of stevedores converged on them from all directions. The stevedores threatened them and told them to mind their own business before melting back into the alleyways. Norgal and Stur went to the Ardor Ring to see if they could find out what was going on with Toygen. They observed people going up to the Toygen house, leaving their servants outside. Stur went up to the servants and tried to spark up a conversation, while Norgal tried to sneak around the side of the house. A passing watchman accosted Stur for loitering, at which point Norgal began to chop down a tree at the back of the house. Understandably, the watchman was distracted by this and ran around to see what was going on. Ebenezer and Seraphina, meanwhile, having left the Golden Trout Club, look around for their companions. As they returned to the Cross Pikes Inn, they happened to pass the Ardal Ring, seeing Stur being poked with a pike by a watchman and told to move. The watchman then got up and ran around to the side of the house. Then they heard the blast of a whistle. Ebenezer charged in and, using his Ebenezer Lieberman character, told the guards that the pair were his employees and that he would deduct from their wages to pay for the damage. A report, however, would have to be made. Ebenezer managed to keep Norgol out of prison, but Stur was marched away by the guards. As Stur struggled, their ankle turned over. In the jail, Stur was menaced by the guards. As Ebenezer and Seraphina discussed with Norgol a plot to cause a distraction in front of the Toygen house so that they could sneak in in order to spy on the meeting that would be happening at 12 midnight they proceeded to some beer tents where they hired four hocklanders and four members of the local stevedores guild to put on an exhibition brawl in front of the toygan house seraphina went to the watch barracks and bailed stir out she does what she can for stir's twisted ankle and the pair go off in search of dug bog to cause even more distraction Norgol and ebenezer returned to franz's bar where franz told ebenezer quietly That he hadn't gone mad, and was just acting insane at the meeting to make himself the weak link, so if any moves were made on the party, France would be the one Megirius would target, but that he would know about it beforehand because of Rhine and Rhine, his two personal bodyguards and expert information gatherers. He supplies Ebenezer with masks. Stir and Serafina come across Dugbog, who's just purchased a sheep at the livestock market and intends to boil it whole as a stew. On the promise of food, Dugbog agrees to follow the party's orders for a time. The party reconvened outside Franz's bar and headed to the Ardal Ring, with half an hour left to go. The Hocklanders and Stevedores arrived and prepared for a brawl, but nobody wanted to throw the first punch, so Ebenezer sent in Dugbog. In the ensuing chaos, the party sneaked around the side of the Toygen house and began to scale the fence. They sneaked through the house, stealing some of Toygen's belongings and knocking out a servant, before encountering a large contingent of guards in the foyer. A fight ensued. The party struggled, but were simply outmatched by the number and expertise of the Toigen Guards. Serafina ran away, Norgal and Ebenezer were both battered into submission, with Ebenezer taking a serious wound to his leg, and Norgal taking one to one hand and one foot. As he lapsed into unconsciousness, Ebenezer fired his crossbow at one of the Guards in an attempt to give Stir a chance to escape. But Stir was more interested in saving Norgal, and Sturr was once again arrested this time by Toygen's guards, handed over to the watch and marched back to prison once again. Serafina returned to the Cross Pikes. Franz was sympathetic but couldn't do much about the situation at all. An hour or so later, Ebenezer and Nongol were dumped into Stur's cell shortly before daybreak. Stur, Nongol and Ebenezer were astonished to see Johannes Toygen enter the cell. He had apparently paid their bail. Toigen said that he believed that he knew the reason for the break in. After the party had discovered the hidden temple under the Steinhager offices, the Ordo Septenarius had been instructed to reassure them. However, rather than being a secret society of merchants, the society was using Steinhager's sorcery, assisted by Megirius, a friend of Toygen called Gideon. Toygen himself and the rest of the inner council to make Bergenhafen rich. Steinhager had told Toygen that a new temple would have to be prepared and that would require human sacrifice. At this point Toygen's nerve had failed. He implored the party to stop the ritual that was about to commence. He did not know when or where it would happen but would send word and offered 100 crowns per person in payment for disrupting it. Stur, Nürngril and Ebenezer returned to the Cross Pikes Inn, where Seraphina had been up all night awaiting their return. They discussed the developments, but could not do much more, for sleep overtook them, and they went to bed. That afternoon, an errand boy delivered a message to Stir. The message was a summons from the town hall offices of Councillor Megirius, ordering the party to come to his house immediately. Ebenezer saw this as an opportunity to play Toygen and Megirius against each other. After outfitting himself between Franz's resources and Seraphina's stash of coin, they headed over to the Megirius house, where the same servant boy opened the door. In Megirius's office, Johannes Toygen lay dead on the carpet, a widening pool of blood spreading. In his own blood, he had scrawled a message on the side of the desk. W-H-S-E a 1 and a number that could either be a 3 or a 7. As they pondered this, the servant boys screamed for the watch, then appeared in the room and told them they should have minded their own business before disappearing into thin air. The party escaped out of the window and jumped over the garden wall. As they fled the watch through the streets of Bergenhafen, they saw an angry mob. Up ahead, the half measure was ablaze. They ran straight into Stur's exact duplicate, who grinned and ran away, rounding a corner, and again disappearing. They eluded the watch and the mob by bursting through a house, then proceeded to the docks. Having realized that WHSE was an abbreviation for warehouse, as they did so, the moon rose even fuller, even lower than it had before, and a grinning skull face appeared on its face. norgol recalled the warehouse 17, the one that Gautry had last been seen in the doorway of was full from floor to ceiling, so there would be no space there for a ritual. The party therefore repaired to Warehouse 13. On the way, they were confronted by a two-man watch patrol. When they saw Schtur and Ebenezer, they attempted to arrest them. Ebenezer killed both of them with his crossbow in Warehouse 13. They emptied crates of bottled fruit as hiding places, repositioning the fruit to Josef's barge. Josef informed them that he had a cargo ready to go back to Weisbrook the following day. As a greenish mist came up off the Bergen, the party hid in the warehouse, crossbows and other weapons at the ready. Shortly after dusk, a cart arrived bearing Friedrich Megirius and two laborers. The laborers left and Megirius got out with a bundle in his hands. The party immediately attacked shooting Megarius twice, then stuffing his unconscious body into another empty crate. They waited for further developments. About an hour thereafter, a fat man arrived in company of a dark-haired man. The dark-haired man ordered the fat man to fetch another person. When he left, the party jumped on the dark-haired man, shooting him several times, throwing daggers and spears. A battle commenced, as the man tore free of his fleshy disguise, revealing a demon of Tzinch underneath. The demon cast a spell that flayed half the skin from Ebenezer's scalp. Eventually, they managed to banish this demon from the material realm. It burst into multicoloured fire and disappeared. When the fat man returned, Franz Steinhager, for of course it was he, ran screaming and raving into the night. The party continued to wait in the warehouse, but nothing else seemed to happen. Shortly before midnight, Steinhager returned, dropped to his knees, and began begging, I promised you. The wall tore itself open, and a huge, unholy eye said, with a scintillating voice, that Steinhager's soul was its, and always had been, but he was more useful when he believed he could save it and that now he was required for other matters. Steinhager burst into fire, and the party fled back to the beer valley. Breaking the habit of a lifetime, Josef set sail in the middle of the night. Which brings us to the end of the recap of the first part of our Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4th Edition playthrough. This has been Enemy in Shadows, written by Graham Davis and several other people, who will be credited in the description as they always have been. My name's George, I've been doing the narration for this, and was also GMing the first part of the campaign. Our players were Steve as Golvar Scratti, Sez as Seraphina Esmeralda Honeycakes, Tish as Shtur Sintflauffer, and Callum as Ebenezer Gutt. Our intro music was War and Peace, provided by freestockmusic.com, and full credit for that will always be in the description, as usual. The background music for this episode has been Alexander Nakarada's Fantasy Motion Loop, which was also provided by FreestopMusic.com. Finally, the outro music is Black Sails by Arthur Vink, again through Freestop Music, with full credit in the description below. See you in part two, and fear not the doomsayers.